Man, I'm so glad to be with you today. What a joy it is to worship with the family of God in this place on this day, Resurrection Sunday, as we celebrate the risen Savior, the one who makes everything possible in our life, who extends love to us beyond measure. Amen? I mean, it's so fun to be with you on a Sunday morning to lift his name in praise because we know that Satan is at work, do we not? He is pecking away at our lives quietly, subtly, sometimes overtly, but we know that we are more than conquerors because of what Christ has done in our life. And what a joy it is to know that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thanks for being here today to celebrate just that. If you're a guest with us today, we want to say welcome. We're truly honored that you're part of our, our assembly today, and I hope that you've seen Christ in our midst as we've gathered around the Lord's table, as we're going to dig into the Word of God here in a moment, uh, as we've lifted His name in praise. And we would hope that if you're looking for a church home, man, you could say today you found it. We'd love for you to be a part of our family right here at Cross Point, sharing that message of hope in different ways that God has gifted you. And as Kale said, check out the bulletin. There are numerous ways for you to get involved in telling that story with our kids ministry, our youth ministry, missions all over the place. I mean, there's a great opportunity to get involved in telling that story. And that is the expectation of not only us here at Cross Point, but of God as well, that you'd not be a sideline participant, but you'd get involved in the game. One way that we're going to do that today, of course, we've kind of watched this hurricane hit uh, our state uh, in the south, and so we know that many families are devastated right now in uh, many towns uh, south of us, and so on your way out, uh, if you find it in your heart, if you look in your wallet, your checkbook, and you, you've got 20 to spare, you've got 100 to spare, whatever it might be, we want you to drop that in the blue bucket. We're going to gather that together and send that down to some churches who are kind of organizing a relief effort down in that area. So please uh, look at your heart today and see if God's moving you to help out with that. But also, we are, want to be a part of the family, dig into uh, the Word of God uh, on a deeper level, to be in prayer for one another, to get involved in each other's life. And what better way to do that than in our connect groups? It is our teaching model here at Cross Point, and it is the expectation of leadership here at Cross Point that you be involved in a connect group. Numerous ways to get involved in that Bible study and relationship building. Check out the table out here by our baptistry and please sign up for one of those uh, groups that are going to be uh, ongoing uh, starting about mid-September. We want you to be involved. We want you to get into the Word of God and practically see how He can so wonderfully bless your life. Well, today we're in the fourth week of uh, the book of Romans as we continue to unpack what uh, Paul is telling us, what the Spirit's laid on his heart to remind the church in Rome, and in doing so, reminding us today how we're called to live life. And so we're going to be in chapter 7 of Romans. I hope you've got your Bibles, and we'll turn with me there. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there, and our text, of course, will be on the screen. But you and I know, this is one of those moments when we look at texts, and we'll clearly see that all of us understand what Paul is talking about in this text. You and I both have things going on in our life that we can't run from, things we can't hide from. Uh, They may be a secret sin. It may be out in the open. I don't know where it is in your life, but I'll promise you each and every one of us are struggling with something. Each and every one of us are dealing with something that Satan knows is one of our weaknesses, and he is dangling that uh, in front of us in various ways all throughout our life. That's what Paul is going to address today. Most of us would think Paul is an incredible Christian, that he's a super apostle, and if he is dealing with it, then I know that we are dealing with it uh, as well. 
there is a lot of temptation out there in the world. You know, one of the things that I see on the road all the time as I'm driving around the metro are people on their phones. Anybody see that as they're driving around? Yeah, if you look in the mirror, it's probably you and me, right? Probably so, if we're going to be totally honest here. Uh, It's against the law to text and drive, Uh, but yet we see people doing it all the time. They're calling people on their phone. They're checking uh, social media statuses on their phone while they're driving. Uh, The National Safety Board says that some 1.6 million auto accidents happen every year in our nation due directly uh, to someone being uh, distracted with their phone. One in four accidents happen in America because someone is texting while they're driving. Some 330,000 injuries occur because of distracted driving uh, in our nation every single year. It is a temptation that you and I have, and we we see the statistics, but we end up saying, it's not going to be me. It's not going to happen to me. Maybe Kale, but not me. (laughs) We know that. I mean, I I was listening to podcasts uh, from Kale's sermon series this past summer, and what I discovered in listening to the podcast was there's a little bit of confession going on here on stage. Kale mentioned there was a warrant out for his arrest, right? You heard that. You heard that. That'll be a different lesson for a different time. But there are moments when Satan works on us, and it's deeper than texting and driving, isn't it? Because there are some of us in this room who bottle up our emotional state until we explode like a volcano with anger. And we kind of wipe up the mess by saying, that's just how I am. I'm not really going to change. That's just how God created me. Or, or maybe it's lust in your life. And you see a good-looking gal walking by or a good-looking guy walking by or maybe your eyes focus on that website one too many times. And you just say, I just can't help it. Maybe your temptation is the pride of life. And so it's important for you that you have a certain size house with one more garage than anyone else. And you live in a certain part of town. That you make sure your neighbors look a certain way. That you've got enough letters after your name and the title on the door of your office. Feel a little bit better than those around you. Maybe it's you believe your particular skin color is better than someone else's. And so whether you openly admit it or not, you work through a level of racism within yourself. You and I have these temptations that Satan dangles in front of us every single day that we battle. And in your heart of hearts right now, in your mind, you are telling yourself the one that is messing with you. And Paul also wants to address the situation. You see, free cheese is always available in mousetraps. And Satan is wanting you to take the cheese. The writer of Proverbs talks about this temptation and, and labels it a she. The, the, the Proverbs writer says in verse 21, beginning, so she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare not knowing it would cost him his life. And Paul wants to address for us in our lives 
the things that we deal with over and over and what the remedy is for that failure, your, your failure and my failure in our own life. Have you ever thought, why would an all-knowing God create a law knowing that you and I could not keep the law? You ever thought that question through? It doesn't make a lot of sense at times as you ponder who God is and if indeed he is the God of everything, if he is omniscient, if he knows everything, why in the world would he institute this thing that we cannot keep? And what Paul is trying to tell us in his letter is that even from the times of old, that the message of God has always been pointing at the cross. Every single moment is revealing to us that we are in need of a Savior, that we need Jesus Christ and God's love. There's nothing that we can do in our own life that would make us right before God, and so the law reminds us that there is a loving God, that he's created a remedy, and that you and I need to latch hold of it like none other, that we need Christ in our life. And this morning, I want to unpack three different lies that I believe Satan tells you and me. Reasons why we might not need Jesus in the picture. Reasons why we might be good enough to take care of things ourselves. And so, Paul reads to us the church in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. Paul says, so the trouble is not with the law... For it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. How many of you, at times, do the things that you hate? Yeah. Most of us in here, if we're honest, all of our hands would be up. Because I do love the law. I do love God. I'm absolutely grateful for what Christ Jesus has done for me. Yet I find myself battling Satan every day of my life. And what Paul tells us is the lie that Satan tells us this first one is that I can control sin. I, myself... Without anyone else's help, I can control the sin that is in my life. Now, understand when Paul writes this letter, he's been a follower of Christ for about 24, 25 years. He's not new to the faith. Matter of fact, he knows the law of God backward and forward because he used to be a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was based in Jerusalem. He was a man of God, but he also knew that it was a battle of control. Who am I going to listen to today? Am I going to cave to the temptation that Satan throws my way? Or am I going to understand and lean into Christ a little bit stronger today? Have you ever realized that you're prone to giving in to certain areas of your life like like this? We have this saying at my house that Saturday's, Saturday morning is donut day. Don't mess up donut day, right? So whatever the weather looks like, I run out and I get donuts and I bring them home. It's, it's the thing I need to stop doing. <laughs> but it's fun. There are moments in our life when we 
we cave in to those types of temptations rather than putting the real label on it in that it is maybe gluttony, maybe wastefulness, maybe not healthy for the body that God has given me. Or maybe we don't put the right word on the idea that I need one more fill-in-the-blank. I need one more garage on my house. I need one more set of golf clubs. I need one more car in the driveway rather than labeling, labeling the idea as greed, as needing one more thing and jealousy maybe of my neighbor and what they have. Maybe the thing that I don't label in my life is pride. I don't see it that way. But it's important, again, where I live and who I hang out with and what the title is on my office door. Maybe you don't actually label it what it should be, and that is lust. I cave in to the physical way too many times. Maybe it's that emotional outburst. Maybe it's quarreling. I just like to pick a fight. And over and over again in the New Testament, we see these things line up not on the side where Jesus lives, but on the side where the world exists. I mean, if I really had all of that under control, why do I keep making the same mistake over and over and over again? And we say, I can quit any time, then do it. I tell myself that all the time as well, but I find myself right back to where I started so many times. And despite our best intentions, we find that we cannot control the sin in our life. And then Paul moves on to verse 17, 18, and 19. He says, So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Paul reminds us of the lie that Satan tells us, and that is I can overcome sin on my own. I can do it all myself. Not only can I control sin, but I can, I can master it. I can overcome it. Can you hear Paul's frustration in those three verses? You can hear the emotion pouring off of the page. He is so frustrated. I know what I want to do, but my sinful nature, ah, I can't seem to conquer. Jeremiah the prophet reminds us about the heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, he says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Our heart is rebellious by nature. But I continue to tell myself that I can conquer, I can fix this. But time and time again, we find it impossible in our own life. If we're totally honest, if we put all the cards on the table, then we realize that I need help in my own life. And in verse 20, Paul says, But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me 
that does it. And we realize through Paul's words that imperfection is a part of our life unless we buy in to the story of love. You see, sin loves to keep quiet. Satan loves to creep around quietly and slowly sneak into our life, pulling us away from our relationship. And we say things like, I don't need to confess the thing that I'm struggling with. I don't need an accountability partner. I I don't need prayer over me in this regard. I'll take care of it myself. But Paul says it is sin living in me. It's like a tenant living in a house, a rented house. And at the end of the day, you and I feel ashamed, disheartened, and a sense of surrender to this thing that we deal with each and every day. And not only do you now have to live with the sin, but the stigma of the secret. And Satan tells you that's just exactly how you want it. Someone once said that we fear the consequences of confession because we have yet to realize the consequences of concealment. We haven't yet figured out that Satan loses his grip on us when we as a family come together, when we celebrate Jesus Christ our Lord, when we lean into one another for life and living, when we journey together. And Paul goes on in verse 21 of his text, and he says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Paul realizes the battle that is going on. He's he's not shying away from what actually happens in his life. And Satan feeds us the lie that we're actually immune to sin. Won't happen to me. Won't be a part of my life. There's no pattern here in my life of a reoccurring problem. There's no penalty for what's going on. I'm not really hurting anyone in the process. And we discount our own sin but I find that we ask others to pay the full price for their own. We say things and water down. It's just a a white lie. She, She just had a little fling. There was only a small moral indiscretion. They struggle with fill in the blank. But Paul doesn't mince words, and he reminds us in chapter 6, that the consequences of sin in our life is death. He doesn't worry about making it politically correct. You see, by nature, we are rebels because I want to sit on the throne of my heart. I want my agenda, not his agenda. And this has been around since the beginning of time. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, it's been the case with God's creation in the garden with Adam and Eve, making a decision for their own agenda. With the story of Jonah and the whale, Jonah and his racism. Or you look at Judas Iscariot and Simon Peter and their betrayal of Jesus Christ. 
Have you ever found it easier to see the sin and dysfunction in other people? Or have you had that moment of clarity when you realize just how broken you really are? The moment when you see that something different needs to happen. That you're not going to listen to the lies of Satan anymore because this morning, church, we have good news. That you and I have messed up. That we're in dire need of grace, but God promises that you and I do not have to carry our dysfunction and sin because Jesus Christ has said he's going to do it for us. He went the full measure for us. And with the Holy Spirit living in our life, we can conquer anything. Paul says that we are more than conquerors. That we have achieved perfection in Christ Jesus, not because of anything that we have done, but for everything that God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. And all through Scripture, from Genesis forward, the law has consistently pointed toward this perfect Lamb of God, this perfect person that would fix our problem with God, our relational distance, if you will. Only Jesus Christ can make you right with God. And here's why. The Apostle Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. And we can smile because we have now a relationship with our Creator because of what God has done for us. And you can choose to accept that story, to live out that story fully, or you can make a decision to listen to the lies of Satan. But either way, our behavior in life is a byproduct of our beliefs. How we choose to live dictates in our heart of hearts what we believe about the story. You see, Jesus was bruised and callous because of the war that is going on within us. We are more susceptible than ever to falling off the path, so to speak. We're susceptible for losing sight in life when things get blurry. You see, when you and I make a decision to not be in the Word of God daily, to discover what is your blueprint for my life, God? How do you want me to travel? What is it that you want me to do? How should I treat other people? How should I live my life? When we neglect God's blueprint for our life, then things get blurry. When we make a decision in our life to not be around like-minded people who have the same spiritual goals in life, we, we lose sight. We We have some blurriness in our vision. When we make a decision not to worship on a daily basis, whether that's singing to the radio in the car, enjoying the creation that God has in front of us, being around the family of God on any occasion of the week, we can get blurry when we don't make time to do that. When we don't place around us the reminders on a daily basis of what God has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ, when we take our eyes off the path that God has given us, then we fall. A few years ago, I was on a guy camp out up in Kansas. I would always go on Friday, get the campground all set up, 
dads and their sons would come after work, and we would have a weekend, guys camp out. And I remember this particular uh, weekend, uh, there was a tornado watch out <laughs> in Kansas. Uh, yes. And I remember some, some of the guys didn't get to come because their mamas were like, you're not going out there. But we, uh, we had a good time. I got everything set up. And there was a lot of texting going on, talking about texting as we started this uh, discussion today. And we always bring our bikes because we go to State Park and we ride all the trails and we have a lot of fun. And so no one's there yet. A lot of people are texting me, hey, what camp uh, site number are you at? Mom's texting me, hey, is it safe? What does it look like? And I'm just texting, but I'm riding my bike around the park. Well, let me tell you something. Texting and driving or biking and uh, texting are the same thing. <laughs> and as I'm texting a mom, riding my bike, I fall into the ditch because I took my eyes off the path. And in spiritual life, it's the same way. When we take our eyes off the path that God has given us, you're going to fall into the ditch. You're going you're to pull away from the direction that God has called us to live. And so when life gets a little bit blurry, focus on Jesus. When death comes knocking, focus on Jesus. When murmur starts to happen, focus on Jesus. When you feel attacked by your neighbors or coworkers, focus on Jesus. See, Paul reminds us of our hope, our salvation, of the gift of grace that we have in Christ Jesus through God the Father. And when we accept that story, then his Holy Spirit lives within us. And then Paul says, we are more than conquerors. Focus on Jesus. Because after the struggle that Paul talks about, he gets to verse 25. He says, what a miserable person I am. But thank God. The answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jesus will rock your world. Jesus will change everything for you. Does that mean Satan's going to stop? No, but now you've got Almighty on your side. Or should I say you're on the Almighty's side? And because of that, you're not touchable. The Holy Spirit living within you, the family of God surrounding you, you keeping focused on Jesus, keeping your eyes on the path that he's given you. Paul says, thank God, Jesus Christ is the answer to our dilemma. And so that's the call this morning is that you and I would take our eyes off of everything else that Satan's giving us, the lies that he feeds into your ear, and focus on Jesus. Be attuned to the blueprint he has for you in your life. Because there is a battle, there is no doubt. And although each and every day is a battle, we know who's won the war. And the end of the book tells us that. And death and Satan and everything else associated with him will be thrown into that lake, and it will be no more. I want to be on the side of the winning side. What about you? I'm ready. Bring it. Because I've got Jesus Christ within my heart. His Holy Spirit living within me, and I've got you surrounding me. And together, all together, we are more than conquerors. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. And our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And maybe there's something in your life that you need prayer over, some 
hiccup, something that's pulling you back from a true, deep relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you as we sing this song that you would go seek out one of our shepherds, let them lay hands on you, pray for you, lift you up so that you would refocus on the one who can make all the difference in the world to you. Let's stand together.